This is a Business Radio special presentation of Knowledge at Wharton. From Jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City at the 2018 Wharton Global Forum, a gathering of Wharton alumni and faculty and some of the most influential leaders in global business, government, academia, and philanthropy, sharing ideas, insights, and inspiring thoughts to create lasting impact. Here's your host, Dan Loney. One of the things that makes some companies unique is their flexibility, but also their full-service nature. And in the hiring sector, it's very important to be able to match the necessary skills with the available jobs out there. And it becomes very important, especially now, since we continue to see close to or below 4% unemployment, as well as seeing more jobs available than people looking, according to latest estimates. Jake Schwartz is the co-founder and CEO of General Assembly, which is a global firm uh, advancing the future of work from a variety of touch points. As part of the session with founders, and it's great to have him for coming over. Greatly uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, I mentioned the multifaceted asset of General Assembly, which I think is unique because it's not just about the hiring, it's about the teaching as well. Well, that's right. In fact, we started really as an education company. That's how we thought of what we were doing um, as a disruptive force against really graduate education. Um, the idea being if you could enhance, if you could decrease the time and enhance the relevancy of the skills you were teaching, um, you could dramatically increase the ROI of, yeah. of this investment and in the process um, actually get individuals to invest themselves in their future as opposed to hoping that government would subsidize loans or, or sure. so on. And, and, and it allowed us to exist outside of the sort of existing accrediting bodies and that whole kind of incumbent system that was a lot like a taxi limousine commission <laughs> and, uh, and actually get started. Now, yeah. over time, what, what has really become true is that what we've seen is that we exist really as this two-sided market between individuals and employers. Yeah. And some of those individuals exist outside of the employers and they're looking to get into a career and start that journey. Some of them already work at their employer but are looking for their next move, their, the lateral move, the upward trajectory, um, and are thinking long-term. And right. so um, over time, uh, one of our biggest customers has actually been employers themselves. Sure. Where yeah. we are really helping those employers uh, invest meaningfully in their employees' skills, their uh, talent pipeline, yeah. um, and, and in, in the process sort of creating this alternative talent acquisition model for them, which is really needed right now because for all of these sort of high demand digital skills, things like software development, data science, yeah. product management, UX <laughs> design, uh, you know, DevOps. There's literally not enough people on the planet to yeah. do all the jobs. Yeah. And the problem with that is every company, no matter what industry, is trying to hire up in those areas at the exact same time. Yeah. So I call that sort of the I drink your milkshake moment. <laughs> and so all of the typical talent acquisition strategies, you know, overpay, go find the people, you know, hire recruiting firms, all that kind of stuff, yeah. doesn't really work that well in this environment. And we create an alternative model where we help Companies like Disney, like uh, Liberty Mutual, like uh, Booz Allen, literally set up their own internal academies and help them help them succeed in finding the talent and creating the talent that they need. Which is it's a great thing to hear because we've talked on on our show numerous times about what companies need to do right now in this environment 
to be able to not only be able to fill those jobs, but also maximize the talent they already have in their company. You know, repurposing somebody, you know, maybe has been in one job for 20 years, but that job is kind of being phased out a little bit. Well, take the time, invest in that person, and you can keep them another 20 years. Well, and so it's there's an interesting thing happening, right? So, by the way, you know, 70 years ago, this is what companies did. Right. But, yeah. but you said this this timeline of 20 years, yeah. and that's actually what's changed. And so there was sort of this vicious doom loop that happened, whereas I don't know if it was chicken or the egg that started it, but you know, as employee tenure goes down, so does the willingness to invest in the long term sure. in that employee. Yeah. And it got to this point where there was this detente, and companies were basically doing the de minimis stuff to actually say they were investing in their employees, but not yeah. really doing it that much. Yeah. And employees didn't really even think that that was an option anymore. And it's such a stark contrast from where we were in the 1950s. Um, all the big companies, you know, AT&T, uh, GM, GE, they had these big university campuses that yeah. were theirs, that they would do this. And sometimes your first three months on the job would be at the university. I mean, really yeah. massive investment. And so we think that there's an opportunity to, to bring back a little bit of that, have a renaissance in this idea of investing in your employees. But it's not going to be because they're going to stay for 20 years. That okay. just doesn't work. Sure. Um, I don't think anyone anywhere expects employees to stay for 20 years on average anymore. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't invest. You just need to think a lot about a shorter, faster ROI, which just so happens to be what General Assembly was founded on and what yeah. our vision is. And so our ideal world is that we can help both the employer find a path to investing in the way that they know they should yeah. and where there's a very clear financial ROI to doing so, but then also help the employee know that this isn't just something that's going to stay with that one job in that one role. Sure. That over time, you know, because it's GA, because our brand means something, because we've done assessments and we're teaching practical skills that you can actually demonstrate in the workplace, yeah. that they can take those things with them as well. And so sure. you have that sort of continuity of lifelong learning that's important, yep. um, but you also have to make sure that the employers are playing a, a, a meaningful role. And, I mean, we're very big advocates that employers are the ones who know the demand. They they benefit from being able to shorten their period of time to fill, yeah. time to productivity. Um, they would like to lessen the costs associated sure. with talent acquisition. Yeah. So all of these things make sense. But like anything, getting a big organization to change their behaviors when it's been one way for 50 years is not easy. And, and I think we're lucky in that we get to work with some of the most sort of forward-thinking, um, you know, people-focused organizations around the world who are willing to sort of jump into the deep end and make these investments. And those those organizations have really seen incredibly positive results, both from employee morale, the, yeah. you know, effectiveness of talent acquisition, and, and now they're looking to scale. And so we're in a great position. Jake Schwartz, the CEO and co-founder of General Assembly, joining us here at the Wharton Global Forum. So, I mean, obviously the connection with the businesses themselves is very important, but how much are you seeing a person that may go through this and being supported by their business to acquire those new skills because of that time frame being shorter, be three years, five years, whatever it might be, that they are starting to come back to you for that next set of skills for that next job they're looking for. And look, we've only really been in business for eight years. Yeah. So, and we, you know, our alumni come back to campus in an incredibly high rate. So about 40% of our alumni show up on campus at least once a quarter to do something. Wow, that's fantastic. Right? And that's partly because we've really 
been working to build this network. And yeah. by the way, we have 60,000 alumni, individual alumni of yeah. these three campuses, um, which is larger than Harvard Business School's entire living alumni network. <laughs> and so, um, and these people are in their most upwardly mobile part of their career. They're in high demand skill areas yeah. in the hottest industries around the world. Um, and so that's a big piece of it. Now, in the employer thing, this is, from an employer point of view, that's what they're constantly needing. And so that alumni network becomes an interesting uh, community to access. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're making all sorts of investments on continuous learning. And, and what we try to do is help those companies think about that strategically. But it's not just all about GA all the time, you know? Sure, yeah. It's very hard to go in and say, we want to do everything. And so a lot of what our job is, is to facilitate a new paradigm and then to create that institu institutional entity inside these companies where um, the learnings and the positivity and the stories can start to accumulate. What do you see as the, the impact of not only your company, but let's say there are more ideas like this that come out? Obviously, as I said at the top, we're at a time right now where the quote-unquote unemployment number is below 4%, although the participation rate is still very low. Uh, you have the report in the past of more jobs available than people looking. What do you think that type of mindset, that type of skill acquisition on a larger scale would do potentially for the United States? Well, it's interesting. I mean, at a, at a, at a large level, there's, a, there's a, just a a level of economic competitiveness that we need to think about yeah. because um, the, the the pace of innovation, uh, the 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 pace at which China is catching up to this whole idea of sure. what what the future economic battleground is going to be is real. I tend to like company by company level, right? Especially because okay. it's so multinational. Um, and what I would say is, I'm not sure companies are even fully there yet of understanding what the bottlenecks in their system are costing them in terms of productivity, huh. revenue growth, yeah. um, pace of innovation. And, and that's a lot of where our time spent. You know, if it takes you three months to find a data scientist versus a month and a half to find a data scientist, yep. when you times that by a thousand, that is not an insignificant number. And it can stretch out a digitization or a digital transformation effort from 18 months to 36 months very easily, right. right? Especially when everybody else is doing that. And that has cost. That has cost in the market, has cost the organization. And so time to productivity and are not like just these like little HR metrics that people get graded on. Yeah. These are actually economic metrics that really can drive costs and revenue for your business if you can get them under control. I mentioned you were part of a, a panel discussion here about with founders. Mm -hmm. What was it that, that kind of brought you to this idea, to this path in the first place? Well, uh, the, the story I like to tell is when I was um, a graduate, I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and I went to Yale, right? And coming yeah. from Portland, going to Yale, I thought like I had got my ticket stamp for life. Like yeah. I was set. I was in the club. Yeah. And I got out and, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't do any of those things that I should have done, like join McKinsey or all those easy on-ramps from Yale and instead tried to get into the music business and make my own way and, and quickly found that like I actually had zero skills to provide value in the real world, yeah. right? I, I, I could write a great paper. I could read really well. <laughs> and um, Great thesis, I right? Like to, I like to say that, you know, I kind of thought my, my diploma was in Latin, and I think in my head, <laughs>
Harry Potter spell that would just open any door yeah. for me. Yeah. And I ended up spending a lot of my 20s kind of lost and lonely, running around, trying to figure out what my where my traction was going to be and, and, and did some interesting things, but ended up going back to business school to try to, put, to push the reset button and find a new on-ramp. Yeah. And just the idea that there weren't a lot of on-ramps for somebody sort of in those liminal spaces is right. just ridiculous, right? I mean, 20s are the age where you're, you're willing to work hard, you're looking for a place to, to create an identity, and, and that, shouldn't, that shouldn't be a time where everybody's kind of wandering around and, and feeling this existential angst. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of a big part of it, was just how can we help people be less lost and lonely in the world of work? Yeah. Um, of course, at Wharton, I looked and said, wow, this is great, but it's really, you know, MBAs are for very specific types of things. Sure. Yeah. There's a whole world of skills that are needed. And frankly, even Wharton isn't like a skills day. It is a place of higher learning yep. taught by professors and academics. Yep. And so when at GA we had this opportunity with a classroom to start running classes, um, what we found was that people were coming from all over the city in New York where we started um, to learn from practitioners, yeah. to hear what's actually happening. And it's such an interesting revolution because over in the 20th century, trade and vocational schooling was thought of as the lowest of the low. Sure, It yeah. was the thing that you really, that was if you really messed up, you had to go to auto shop school or like yes. ICT tech or something yes. like that. Yeah. And we've created this sort of bizarre world where the smartest people don't learn how to do, they learn how to think. And then everybody, everybody else needs to learn how to do. And I think that world has changed. And that, you know, the ability to add value, to do things, to get things accomplished, even at the entry level of whatever, you know, ladder you're trying to climb, yeah. um, gives you a real competitive advantage. Um, if you can pull, do your own SQL polls and, 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 and run Hadoop and, and create analysis that uh, actually impresses your boss and actually creates decision-making capability for your yeah. organization, that is the way to the top. It's not about, you know dressing nice and, and pleasing the right people. Quickly, in the last few seconds, is there a specific, with the people that you deal with mm -hmm. and the people that are coming to, to be a part of General Assembly, is there a, a demographic for the people that you're seeing there? Is it the 20-somethings that you were talking about, or is it a mix with even some of people that are kind of repurs repurposing their careers later on in life? Um, it's it's definitely all of the above. I would say okay. GA as a brand and how we set ourselves up was for, you know, the quote-unquote millennials, right? People yeah. in their 20s and 30s who are looking to level up in their existing career or find a new career path. Yeah. You know, we can do in a three-month program, we can really transform somebody's career prospects. But over the years, we've seen a lot of upskilling happen for people who are a little more mid-career. Yeah. We've actually had people, 70-year-olds, come and learn how to code. Because <laughs> a lot of times it's because their wife kicked them out of the house. They were sick of... Go do something. Yeah, exactly. You retired, <laughs> but I, I, you need to stop. And and so, um, you know, there's a wide range of people who can who can leverage this. And there's, sure. there's also a wide range of different levels of, of training we can provide for people, depending right. on what their goals actually are. There's a lot of people who are not going to need to learn to code, but would highly benefit from understanding what this coding thing is. Yeah. So when they engage with product managers and engineers and things like that, they're not completely flying bind and, and dependent on the sort of voodoo priest to tell them what's going on. Great having you here today. Thank you very much for, uh, for giving us a few minutes and uh, enjoy your time here at the, uh, at the forum, Jake. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.